0: Welcome to the Worldview Minute. I'm Pastor Levi Secret. As we continue unpacking human sexuality from the biblical point of view, the Christian worldview, we need to turn to scripture. In our last episode, we saw how we have been lied to and we've made both too much and too little of sex. And we have a solution offered to us, a path forward in which we can think and live in such a way as to be blessed in this area of life. The problem is, is we don't want it. We think that Christianity is oppressive or it's going to hold us back, or that God is somehow withholding something good from us. But the exact opposite is true. You can look at the impact that our current ethic is having from the sexualization of children to having no standards really at all with any foundation for any of those standards. And we can look back in the world history and we can see this was how the pagan worlds operated. This is why children were abuse victims all the time. This is why women had a much stricter um rules about them, and men could do whatever they wanted in ancient Rome. And if we believe that men and women are equal, and if we believe men and women should be held to the same standards in the sexual realm of life, and we should, that's a Christian idea. That is not something that you will find really anywhere else until Christianity uh, became the dominant influence in the world. And so today, I want to look at the standard that God himself is the one who created sex. It was his idea, and sex is therefore good. It is not something that is inherently wrong or icky, but it is good. And God has put forward its purposes, and God has put forward his standards for how we should then live. And so we're going to read from Genesis here a couple times uh, in this episode, and then we're going to unpack what does that mean with seven different truths about human sexuality from the beginning. So let's let's unpack it here. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God created them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now we're going to flip to Genesis 2 here. We're going to zoom in here. Verse 18 and then 21 through 26. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. For the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man was made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And so we see here God's story of how he created male and female. He created them in his own image. He created sex, and it was there in the garden before the fall. And this establishes so many different things for us. So here we go. Seven truths. Seven truths about human sexuality because God is the one. Created sex. First, God made them male or female. We see right here at the beginning, it's Adam and it is Eve. He made them either male or female. God's design for humanity is male or female, and this is good. Sex is indeed binary, it is biological. You don't get to determine that. Adam didn't get to determine that. Eve doesn't get to determine that she is a female. God creates you that. It is woven into your DNA. And yes, there are such things as rare birth defects that make things go wrong, but that doesn't change the fundamental reality that it is male or female unless something has gone drastically wrong. Raging against this reality will do you no good. You cannot change it. I mean, think about the absurdity of our arguments here today in transgenderism. On the one hand, you say biology, the physical body parts that you have do not determine what sex you are. But then, to fix your gender dysphoria, we are going to try to change your body parts. It makes no sense whatsoever. It is contradictory through and through. So truth number one, God made them male or female. Second truth, God created them male or female in his own image, equal to one another. Equal, male and female. They are in God's image. This is the radical truth of Christianity versus all the ancient religions of the world. That men and women are inherently, they start here with an equality before God. That both man and and woman bear his image, therefore they have equal value, worth, and rights, and they are judged by the same standard, especially in the sexual realm. Adultery is wrong for men, it is wrong for women. It's not based upon who you are. God's standards are indeed universal, and they reflect the glory of God, male and female, in their maleness and their femaleness. They both reflect the glory of God, and them coming together reflects it even more completely. Third, we see in this story, especially in Genesis chapter 2, that it is not good that man should be alone. God literally brings Adam around the garden. He sees all the animals. He cannot find a helper suitable for him. That This is one of the most shocking parts of the creation story, is that God creates everything. He declares it very good. And the first thing that is not good is that man should be alone. Now, if God had created woman first, then he didn't. And if she was alone, that is also not good. Men and women are created to complement one another. There's a fullness to this picture of who God is when man and woman come together. It's God's design for men and for women to join together in holy matrimony. And that leads us to our our fourth point. Our fourth point is this. The parts fit together. Men and women complement one another. They go together. It is self-evident that men and women are sexually designed for one another when God was bringing Adam around the the, the garden and all the other animals had pairs. They had a male and a female. Why? So that they could be fruitful and multiply. Adam didn't have that until Eve was created. That God has created the male parts and the female parts to go together. This is even seen um, in construction stuff, whether it be things like plumbing or being an electrician. Like These parts are often labeled the male part and the female part and they go together. It's the same thing, biologically speaking, about men and women today. You don't have a complete reproductive system on your own. You have a complete nervous system. You have a complete um, blood system. You have a complete, all of those systems in your body are complete, that they can do everything to their fullest potential on their own, except for your reproductive system. You're missing something. It's incomplete. You need the other half. And so, so much so we can say that there's a purposeful design. You don't need to be a Christian to see that the male parts and the female parts are clearly designed to go together, that two men cannot do what a man and a woman can do, and two women cannot do what a male and a female can do together. This is woven into the fabric of creation, and denying it is to deny reality. The parts are designed by God, fit together for specific purposes. Fifth, sexual intercourse is God's idea, and it is therefore. Very good. As God declares creation very good, and the male and female come together at the pinnacle of the creation account, Adam finally sees Eve. That first problem is solved, and he breaks out into poetry. And it says, The two were naked and alone, and they were not ashamed, and the two became one flesh. Sex existed before the fall. Sex is a God given gift, it is a blessing to mankind from our Creator. And so, it is God created, He decides its purposes. He decides its boundaries, and it is morally good. And moreover, this means that sex is not a shameful act. The two were naked, alone, and not ashamed. Right? Now, should parse this out a little bit more. Right? It's a private act between two individuals. It's not to be public. There's shame for that private act being brought out into public, but it is not inherently shameful. And this really needs to be hammered in Christian Uh, Circles, because sometimes we see the perversions of the world and we want to condemn them rightly, but then we treat sex as a whole as bad. But it's not. God created it. He created it good. He created it as a good gift for humanity. Six, sex is is confined. Thought, deed, and action is confined to God's design for marriage. One man, one woman for a lifetime. Now, yes, because of the hardness of our hearts and because of sin, there are instances in which God allows for divorce. We're not going to unpack that today, but this is God's design from the beginning. That one man and one woman should come become together and become one flesh. Not many fleshes, but one. And that that is the foundation of lifelong fidelity. Now, any act or thought or gratification outside of one man and one woman for life in marriage, not before marriage, but in marriage, any of those things, whether it be homosexuality, pornography, adultery, lust, extramarital groping or other behavior before you're married. Those are all sinful. They're outside of God's design and purpose for marriage. Sex is created by God. It's designed by God. He sets the rules and the standards for it. And it is confined to lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. And in all of this, I know some of you are going to say, well, that's Genesis. That's the Old Testament. It doesn't count. What about the New Testament? Well, Jesus affirms this. Jesus affirms by pointing back to Genesis chapter 2. He affirms all of this. So that's point 7. Jesus affirms these standards. The Pharisees approach Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 to ask about uh, adultery. And um, not adultery, but um, divorce. And this is the answer he gives to them. He says have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and he said and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let no man separate now listen to this like sometimes people say jesus doesn't address homosexuality in the gospels it's a terrible argument because it's addressed both Old Testament and New everywhere. Just because Jesus doesn't ad- address a specific thing doesn't mean it's not addressed in Scripture. But He does actually address homosexuality. From the beginning, He made them male and female. Therefore, the father or the man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Jesus is affirming heterosexuality, faithful uni- union of two fleshes becoming one, and no man should separate them. This is the standard. Jesus affirms it. One man, one woman, for all of life. And so it's really not that hard, is it? The concepts are easy. The scriptures lay out for us that God created sex, he designed it for specific purposes, and we are therefore to live it out a certain way. And when we do, it becomes a tremendous blessing for us. And when we don't, we cause untold harm and damage throughout all of life. And that evidence is everywhere for us to see. And so in our next episode, we're going to un unpack more, what are the purposes then? God created it. He's declared it good. He has set the standards for it. But what are the purposes? Why did God make it? And what do we see in this one flesh union? I hope you continue to join us on this journey as we unpack that Christian worldview one minute at a time.